All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a, uh, a brand new sports podcast. There's a lot of them out here on the market, but uh, this podcast is going to be the Take 3. This is our first episode that we're launching, uh, kind of on a whim of an idea that a couple guys came up with, and then me and my buddy uh, Alex here that we work together, we were like, you know, we both like sports, and we both enjoy, we sit at work for eight hours talking about sports. It's like, why not make a podcast about sports and every take that we kind of sit at work and talk about? And uh, make it a show, and you know, I mean, kind of have fun with it. So that's the gist of it. I mean, we're going to cover NBA topics when we jump into the NFL season. We're both big NFL guys. We'll cover some NFL, definitely a lot of NFL, and then we'll fire in some uh, PGA stuff, some MMA, some boxing when that's uh, when that's going. When the pay per views are coming up, when the big fights are coming up, we'll definitely cover that. But for the gist of it, now we're going to jump into some NBA. We got obviously big Bucks Nets game five, kind of a it was I would call it the Kevin Durant game if I'm being honest. That man really definitely, definitely. Yeah, that man really really poured his heart out. So I'm gonna throw it to uh, I'm gonna throw it to Alex. Let him kind of unwind, give his initial thoughts on what he saw in this uh, game five. Oh yeah, man. First off, I'm excited to do this. Excited to start this journey. Let's get it going now. The Milwaukee Bucks choked away a lead. I don't know if that's a proper term. You could, One could argue choked. One could argue Kevin Durant took it away because that was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in the playoffs, let alone from Kevin Durant. That might be the best game of basketball he's ever played, especially considering he played 48 minutes. That's ridiculous. That's, that's definitely fair. I mean, I guess you could say, in my eyes, I would say the Bucks. The Bucks kind of did choke it away. I mean, they were up 16 at half when you look at it. They were kind of running that smooth ball movement offense. They were working the basketball, getting guys open. And then, I mean, from what I saw in the second half, they go away from that. They go – it was a lot of iso balls, a lot of Drew Holiday, iso in uh, Middleton, and it was just weird. It's like they played two different styles. Yeah, two different – it was like two different game plans. It's like I don't know what Coach Bud was thinking coming out of the half. You're in control. Keep running your style. I mean, James Harden was out there, but he was a shell of himself, really. He looked like a guy that hasn't played basketball in a week. But, I mean, you can't ignore Kevin Durant. Definitely Kevin Durant showed up and he said, I'm going to put the team on my back. I mean, the guy played 48 minutes. I don't think – I haven't seen that recent memory where a guy plays the entire thing. I mean, the only similar thing I can say is when LeBron game one against the Warriors, but that went to OT. So he kind of got extra minutes by going to OT. But, I mean, the ability to put up 49, 17, and 10 and play all that time uh, he really – he showed that he wasn't going to let the team lose. He showed, I came to Brooklyn, and this is really my uh, fingerprint moment. Like, this is this is my team. I think he showed he's the best player in the world today, and it's not close. Like, you, the NBA has gotten close, and there's players, whether it be LeBron still, Luka on certain nights, where you can make arguments for others. But I think it's, like, it's clearly got to be Kevin Durant. I think – Especially if he finishes his title run and gets another uh, finals MVP, you got to say he's the best player in the world. Like performances like that, you got your guys hurt. Harden, yeah, he plays 46 minutes, but like you said, he's a shell of himself. And like Kevin Durant just went and put it on his back. Like I've, I don't think I've seen a performance in the playoffs that good since the LeBron James game. That's exactly what I was thinking, his 50 points. And, you know, KD was very close to 50 himself, 49, and get it done. Yeah, he was a little pissed when he missed that free throw. I think everybody that saw that game, he was pissed when he missed the first free throw uh, at the end. He really wanted to hit that. It looked like he definitely he, he knew. He definitely knew that the record books. Yeah, rec- there's something about hitting that 50 point game that the record books they remember. Right? It's not 49 is not quite as memorable, even though it's a, a ridiculous performance. But I mean, I'd have to agree with you on that. I think Kevin Durant kind of he got lost in the sauce because he missed last year with the Achilles thing. But I mean, now that he's, he's back and he's in full force and with no Kyrie. Uh, yeah. He showed he's probably uh, this KD is probably the best player on the planet right now. I mean, you can't really say Giannis, that guy, that guy, uh, I don't know. He kind of played two halves. He kind of struggled. And then his free throw struggles is kind of, it's kind of the downfall. And then his jumper as well. Giannis had a good game. If you look at the box score, you know, 34 points, 12 and 4, 14 and 22. Like, he had a good game, but, like, when it mattered most, like, he he fumbled it. Like, Middleton made a good play, gave it to him. Giannis could have had an easy dunk, and he turned it over. The ball just went through his hands. And, you know, 
or we're, when we're talking and splitting hairs for superstars and he's supposed to be one of the best in the world to be able to win the game, he, he just can't turn it over there. That just can't happen. That's a mistake. That's just inexcusable. That's ex- exactly. Yeah. A two-time MVP cannot do that. It was also another interesting play down the stretch. I think there was two possessions where Drew Holiday blew past James Harden one possession and it was such an easy bucket. You could tell James Harden. I mean, he moved well. He didn't really show any similar to like how AD was limping around, but you kind of can tell on his jumpers, he doesn't quite have the legs underneath of him. And then Drew Holiday blew right past him. Then I think the very next possession settles for a three-pointer. Instead of just go attack the rim again, you just beat this guy in a possession before. Why are you settling for a jump shot? And if the defense collapses, you kick it out. Like there's guys around that uh, they could have made plays. So they really, I mean, it kind of shows. Shout out Uncle Jeff as well. I think he hit seven threes tonight. Seven of eight. That's Yeah, that's what I'm 27 saying. 27 points. Yeah. I mean, as we spoke of uh, – at work it's somehow Jeff Green fires in 20 points you never you never expect it or you never really think why why is Jeff Green in 2021 firing in 20 plus points but it just uh it just happens yeah made jokes about Jeff Green dropping 20 off the bench no he did a little better than that 27 and then I made a joke thinking oh they're gonna need 50 from KD tonight and well he gets 49 so that's just greatness like it was fun to watch it really was I was rooting for the Bucks. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they respond in game six. I feel like the Bucks bounce back and take game six because it is in Milwaukee. But then the question becomes, can they win one on the road, which they haven't been able to yet? And I don't know, honestly. I'm not sure. It That's... did take a great performance from KD. Can he repeat that? I mean, I think he can, honestly. But we'll see. It's going to be interesting to watch. He varies the kind. That's what I was going to say. Do you think the Nets can can the Nets go on the road and close this, or is this bound to come back to Brooklyn? Are we are we are we going to be back in Brooklyn for a game seven where maybe we see another legendary KD performance? As it looks, Kyrie's not coming back for the rest of the series, so we're going to have a labored Harden, or maybe if Harden gets better. I mean, we've seen it with kind of Chris Paul can Harden, you know, get the legs underneath him, get some. Uh, I call these like cardio games when these guys just kind of play minutes but don't put up much. I mean, he was still creating. But can the Nets muster up enough to close out a game on the road? Or are we bound to come back to Brooklyn? I think we're bound to come back to Brooklyn. I really do. But, like, if they close it out, I wouldn't be surprised. And that's what I was going to bring that up, too, because we saw if Harden can get better and just move and maybe get his legs underneath him, because we did see Chris Paul. But, like, not having your legs is hard. You can't You can't get those jump shots off like you need to if you don't have your legs. And Kevin Durant, like, he's – 48 minutes is a lot of basketball, man. He's going to be icing up. So it's like, does he have enough in the tank? I I would guess that he does, but we'll see. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I mean, if I if I was if I was going to bet the game, I would lean Bucks just because it seems like guys like Jeff Green aren't going to go on the road and score 27 again, right? The role players usually they somehow they show out at home. So I would agree. I mean, then it's a best of one going home where it's really. I mean, it's another tough one. You could argue if the Bucks don't fumble the bag, they uh, they still win. I mean, KD was good, but they still probably should have won if they don't completely fumble it. So, Agreed. I, would, I went in tonight thinking they're going to, like, close the series out in six. And they probably should have won, even though KD was great. But to the Jeff Green point, I mean, seven of eight from three, but, like, Joe Harris was one of seven. He didn't play well. Like, you expect a way better shooting performance from him. So Exactly. So, I mean – Looking at that, we're going to have game six in a day. Yeah, they get one day off. I think they're running game six Thursday, I would assume. Yeah, so Thursday. It's, it's a short – it's a travel day. And as you said, KD played 48 minutes. So it's a tall task to go on the road and kind of close this thing out. So I think we both agree on – we expect the series to come back to Brooklyn. And then it's really going to be, I'd say, one for the ages when you get a game seven with these guys going head-to-head. It's a series that when you looked at the first two games, you thought, it's done. There's no shot this is the best series on paper and now it's kind of it's weird it's turning into what we wanted Uh, yeah a grudge match till the end exactly really excited heading into the series after game two I thought honestly thought like a healthy Brooklyn team I think probably sweeps this Bucks team and this Bucks is a very good basketball team but Brooklyn's got that talent but here we are we're getting the series that I thought we were going to get and I'm excited for it I hope we get game seven just as a basketball fan because I want to see Giannis and KD two superstars MVPs go at it for game seven that's that's fun that's uh yeah that's that's good analysis I mean now we can just straight 
segue into sorry about that let's straight jump into another team that kind of fumbled the bag this was although this was a night ago we watched the Sixers start out slow but they really took control of the game in Atlanta in game five I mean I was running around the workplace saying it's over in five we'll be home and we'll be home Wednesday night to close out the series this series is done the Atlanta Hawks they don't have anything and then the Hawks kind of did what they do they're they're a gritty team. I really kind of respect them by how gritty they are. They really – Nate McMillan has those guys fight till the end, no matter what the score is. They uh, they came out and just kept battling, and Bede went to the back for some uh, some knee repairs, some, some treatment on the knee. That's kind of troubling. That's the first time really in this playoff run since he's came back from the meniscus that he's went to the back to uh, seek treatment mid-game. So it's kind of troubling. I mean, we're down, down to a best-of-three game five in Philly Wednesday night. I expect the Sixers to hold court, but uh, yeah, how do you feel? I think it depends on Joel Embiid. So we went into this series, you know, a little worried about that knee, and he came out game one, game two, I think it was like 40 points and then 39, and like a lot of minutes too. So it's like, okay, Embiid's here to play, dude. He's ready to go. And then that last game was the first game where he looked a little like he was laboring a little bit, and he didn't shoot the ball well at all. I think he shot a four of 20. So, like, it, also you could flip that. The Sixers barely lost and Embiid shot 420, so maybe you feel good about it. I think it really just depends on Embiid's health. Healthy Embiid, I think the Sixers' role, not healthy Embiid, I think is a coin flip. Yeah, I think the the thing for me, and, I mean, I am a Sixers fan. I will uh, just throw that out there. It's trouble. It is uh, troubling. I mean, that's one of my questions. Is Embiid's knee, is that knee issue troubling as this playoff run continues? We've seen – with playoff runs and Joel Embiid, he kind of deteriorates. His body begins to break down. We saw it in the Raptors series two years ago. Yeah, it was two years ago now where we lost in a seven. He was available every other game. So he's kind of – he's battling through this meniscus, but it's like he's there, but he's not there, especially in game four. He was there, but he really wasn't. He went like 0 for 12 in the second half, fumbled a layup that he probably should have made regardless of knee injury. And – uh yeah, I mean, this team really rides on Joel Embiid's health. We've seen that Ben Simmons, to this point in his career, he's considered a star of the game, but he's not a guy that's really taken one of these signature moments where he just goes ultra aggressive. He's not, I mean, obviously, he's not going to shoot jump shots. I wish it. I'd sit there and say, I wish he would shoot jump shots. But I mean, I wish he would just attack the basket when he's one on one with a Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, take him to the hole. You're the bigger guy, you're the athlete attack and I think that's what we're going to need to see more of as the series kind of goes to game five and into a game six in Atlanta because Embiid's knee it's not the health he's even said it himself the health isn't going up so the more he plays on that knee it's just going to get worse and uh worse and so uh, here's a here's the thing with the health so it's not going to get better but at, nobody's healthy right now right everybody's going to play through it and to the Ben Simmons point an aggressive Ben Simmons is scary for the Hawks. Like, that's a great thing for the Sixers. Like, when Ben Simmons is really on and he's attacking and going to the rim, he's he's fantastic. So, like, Ben Simmons just worries me with his aggressiveness. Like, I feel like he chooses when he wants to be really aggressive. And sometimes he, he doesn't attack enough, in my opinion. And also, Ben Simmons scares me in crunch time because he can't make a free throw to save his life. He cannot, yeah, he cannot make free throws. Yeah, that is. I mean, an aggressive Ben Simmons, even if he's not scoring, it uh, forces defenses to rotate, and he can create for a guy like Furkan Korkmaz around him, a Seth Curry, a Tobias Harris, guys that can spot up around him if he's just attacking the hoop. And, I mean, another injury, I mean, the Hawks, I didn't really see it at the time, but Trey Young's shoulder, I haven't really heard anything, so I'd assume he's good. But, I mean, he was receiving treatment mid-game. You could see him on the bench. He had that thing wrapped up pretty well. He had the tape on it. So I don't know how much that is going to affect him on a, a day's rest going into a hostile environment. Yeah, Trey knows how to persevere, though. Like, uh, he's another guy that didn't shoot the ball well in the last game, but he just kept shooting 8 of 26, but he still scored 25 points. Trey Young's going to be out there. He's going to play a lot. He's going to do what he does, wh whether he's missing or making him. He's going to keep going. And, you know, it's one of those things, once the adrenaline gets going and you you start hearing the crowd booyah, because you know Trey Young likes to get those crowds going. You saw what he was doing in Madison Square Garden. So, like, once he gets going and the adrenaline's going, Trey Young's going to be all right. I'm more worried about Embiid personally, but 
that is something to look for. And once again, it's the playoffs. None of the teams are healthy. You just got to battle through and play. That's exactly. That's going to segue me into segue into another point. Do you think the Hawks have a legit shot to win at least one in Philly in a best of three? They're going to have to win at least one in Philadelphia, whether it's Game Five or Game Seven, if this uh, if they're going to pull this off. So, do you think? I mean, I'm going to go off. Embiid's going to suit up. He's been a. They say questionable game time decision. He's going to be there. I, I would be amazed if he's not there tomorrow night. But do the Hawks have a shot to steal one? Can they find a way to steal one in Philly and really put the pressure on? I don't think they will, but I don't want to say they can't. Because the Hawks have shown enough as a team during this playoff run and this season that they can win any basketball game, no matter what court they're playing on. And obviously it's up to Embiid's health, but like ignoring that factor – you never know. Atlanta made, I think, what, like 14 threes the first game, like a re- 15 maybe, like a ridiculous number. So, like, they have the shooters to get hot. So, like, I don't want to – I don't think it will happen, but I'm not willing to discredit Atlanta and say it's not doable because they certainly have the ability to get it done. Exactly. Yeah, I think it was 20 threes in game one, actually. Their season average was 12. They hit 20 in game one in Philly to really steal that. That was a sort of performance. That, I mean, obviously you kind of have to look into this – I mean, we're a little bit away from it, but say the Hawks do steal this, where do the Sixers really go? What is the outlook? I mean, this this was the team. This was – you got the one seed. You kind of got the favorable matchups. You got that Wizards round one. That was a cakewalk. You even went into this matchup, and you're like, this should be, what, five games, six games at the most, which they could still do it. But it's like if the Sixers somehow lose this series and fumble this, one would be an all-time Doc Rivers-type loss with this team. And, uh, yeah, where do they go? I mean, it's going to be kind of rough to run that Ben Simmons and B duo right back again coming off a uh, coming off a loss. I mean, I would assume they do that, but it's going to be – it starts to, like, bring tension in if this team continually underperforms with that duo running the show. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting hypothetical because, like, if they blow this series to the, to the young Atlanta Hawks team, that's a really tough position to be in. And not a good look for Doc Rivers with his Clippers blown lead and his Orlando Magic blown lead back in the day. And then his two Clipper blown leads, actually, the Kawhi team and the CP3 team. But but anyway, like that's a weird position to be in. Do you run them back? They like they didn't trust the process and tank all those years for second round appearances. It was they tanked for championships and they feel they have a player that's good enough to lead a championship team and bead, which he clearly is when he's healthy. But you know, that old saying, best ability is availability. So if your big guy's deteriorating and, you know, do you trade him while he still has a ton of value in the league? I don't know what you could get back. It's like a really rough position for the Sixers if they lose. I don't know what they really do. Yeah, it's a very weird spot for a team that's – they're cap-strapped. I mean, they have the – and Joel Embiid just hit with the All-NBA. He's now eligible for a – I think it's a $191 million max. Uh, that could kick in 23-24. So it's like if they somehow blow this, they really have to sit down and think, as you said, do they move off as much as Philadelphia would really hate it? Do you move off the guy that continually deteriorates and only plays 55 games a season for uh, and really surround a guy like Ben Simmons with shooters? But then you'd have to put a lot of faith in Ben Simmons that he's going to come out aggressive each game. Because that's what it relies on. I mean, that's the end of the uh, the end of the day thing for me. If you're going to surround Ben Simmons with a team, he has to be aggressive because that's the only way that uh, it's the only way that train moves. If he's not going to be aggressive and just let other guys let Tobias Harris uh, take the forefront, then I don't know if that's a model you want to build around. And then you're really in a dangerous path because then you're eventually rebuilding in three years. So there's a lot on the line for the uh, Sixers in this series, and I mean the future really kind of hinges a lot on the result of these next three games. Agreed, agreed. And when it comes to the Ben Simmons thing, it's like I, you you know when he gets aggressive, he has great games. But it's like can you count on him being aggressive night in and night out? And that's a lot to ask for. And now he's young. He has the ability to do it. But I don't know. I would ask you this. If you had to choose between Embiid and Simmons, you would go Simmons for sure because of the age? Um, I think – I feel like, yeah, because I feel like you would get more back. I, it's such a hard one, but I feel like you would get right. more back for Joel Embiid, and then you'd be able to kind of surround him with shooters. But 
I don't really like either one because I don't really trust Ben. Uh, I don't really trust Ben Simmons as a guy leading my franchise. Right? It's kind of it's a, hard to trust for sure. Exactly. There's a uh, frustrated superstar out there with a first round exit in Portland. That's I'm just saying. That's an interesting name. I don't know who you would trade, but like. Yeah, Damian Lillard's a great player. You get him somewhere else. I don't know. There's some interesting combos and mismatches. Hopefully the Sixers can just close it out in six and, you know, don't have to worry about it. But it's an interesting situation for sure. That's 100%. And then, I mean, we can kind of segue into another team that kind of has a lot riding on uh, the second round, the team in the Clippers, who when they put this team together, when Kawhi Leonard – said, I'm going to take my talents to L.A., but it's not going to be the Lakers. It's going to be the Clippers because I want my own team, and you guys got to bring Paul George playoff P with me, who he did show out. So I'll give him some respect on that. He balled out um, last game out. But they have a lot riding on this as well because they're now – I mean, they held court. They came back to L.A. They looked pretty brutal in Utah, which Utah's a tough spot to play at. They came back home for games three and four. And they did what they had to do. They held, uh, they held their serve. They won those games. They now got a best of three, which, uh, which I like. We got a lot of best of threes going on. But uh, I guess my question in this one is, can L.A. steal a game in Utah? I mean, L.A. is another team. They're going to have to win a game in a, uh, in a tough environment as well and go to Utah. And we, uh, we get that game as well tomorrow night right after the Sixers-Hawks. So the Clippers are an, interest, are an interesting team. They go down 0-2 against Dallas. Then they win two on the road in Dallas. And you th- you're thinking, okay, here come the Clippers. And then Dallas goes and wins in uh, Los Angeles. And they go down 3-2. And then they Kawhi has a great game six, a great game seven, and they advance. And then here they are playing a much better Jazz team, which is now down to a best of three. The Clippers are, like, hot and cold to me. Like, when they really come out and Paul George is aggressive, he gave them 31 last night. They can win any game anywhere if that happens. If Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are going to both score 30 a night, they're probably the future champions, honestly, because they're great wing defenders too, and they can really lock down. So I think they can steal one in Utah. I'm personally rooting for the Jazz, and I like the Jazz better, and I'm just – I'm a big Donovan Mitchell fan. I think he's that guy. I think he has it. So – and the Jazz have an interesting ace. So if they can get Mike Conley on the floor and playing well – all of a sudden they have their really good guard back. So that's something they haven't had throughout the series so far. So that could be a really big X factor, getting Mike Conley on the court again. Yeah, I mean, that seems the big thing with this Clippers team. And, I mean, it's really been since they've been put together, even through the uh, the last playoff run with the Blown, the Blown series, is what Clippers team is going to show up. And we truly don't know. We saw the championship caliber Clippers show up for two games in Los Angeles. But then the uh, the quick exit Clippers, you go to Utah and the other Clippers that, uh, that don't quite have it. When that team shows up, you, you kind of flip. I mean, this is a team that really they have me in all types of all types of binds, especially in the Dallas series, as you uh, brought that up. I mean, I said when they were able to get those games in Dallas, I was like the Clippers. I mean, they're going to win four straight like they're right back. They figured it out. And then they go on to lose and then obviously they eventually close it out in seven but yeah I mean they have they're a weird team and it's like you don't know what Clippers squad you're going to get if the Clippers squad in games three and four shows up yeah I think they could definitely take game five and then close it out in game six Mike Connolly obviously yeah he I don't even I haven't really heard anything on his status of whether they're pretty quiet on it until like he's been questionable before every game and then gets ruled out. So I would, I would think he's close and I would think he plays game five because it's a very big pivotal game at home, but who knows? Hamstrings are tricky, man. Exactly. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what it is. I mean, he could show up on the floor and he could kind of, it could go five minutes and he's done again, or he could kind of be, I mean, I kind of expect him to be a similar performance to what we saw to James Harden is he's going to be there, but he's going to look like a guy who hasn't played in, a week and a half, what, two weeks did he play in the first round series? I want to say. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, but he's going to look like a guy who hasn't been there in a week, right? It's hard to just, I mean, you can run, you can get your reps in practice, but it's a lot to, uh, you can't really, as they always say, you can't really simulate, especially not playoffs. You can't really simulate the game in practice where there's a full arena of fans and that type of energy. I think being home could help him, but obviously, I mean, we saw tonight James Harden was home and it didn't really do anything to push him forward. So I think, 
he'll be there. I mean, yeah, I would say it's, as you said, a huge game. So I would look for him to show up, but it's like, what is he going to bring to the table not playing basketball in a week and a half, two weeks, and with that hamstring strain? Um, the one thing with Mike Conley is that he's a seasoned veteran. He's been in, he's been in the Western Conference Finals. He's gone pretty far. He's played in a lot of big games. And I think he's smart enough to know that, like, he doesn't have to push the game. He can let it come to him. And the one advantage he has is the Jazz don't need him to score. They need him to facilitate. So if he can just get Bogdanovich, Ingles, Mitchell, some open looks, then I think they're cruising. That's, I think that's the one good part about this Mike Conley situation is they don't need him to score. Yeah, that's for sure, because they've been really relying on Donovan Mitchell to kind of play that point guard slash he's kind of in that Lillard role, right, where he likes to – he's a, he's a scorer, and then he's kind of running that, that point guard role, which isn't really his game. He, he's more of just feed off of Mike Conley, be able to get his buckets, and then have the point guard as Kawhi just posterize Derek Favors. Nasty, nasty dunk. Nasty. But, yeah, so, I mean, where do you see best of three? Do you see the Jazz holding their home court, or do you, do you see the Clippers stealing a game in Utah and going to the Western Conference Finals? So I'm all Jazz on this one. The Jazz were the one seed. They're the best team in the league throughout the season. They shoot lights out. And I just – going back home to Utah, I think they win. And it wouldn't surprise me if they close out the series in six in L.A., to be honest, especially if they got Mike Conley back. So – I'm all jazz. I have the jazz winning the West. I have them going to the finals. So I got to, I got to pull and root for them. And Donovan Mitchell, man, he's been really fun, really impressive to watch. So I think he's going to go out and drop another 35 to 45 and the jazz are going to take game five. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. We, we hear it. We got, we got jazz, jazz super fan. <laughs> um, I'm kind of, I'll say I'll take the jazz as well. I mean, I can't really trust the Clippers. I'm not going to get suckered in, but I'm going to say Jazz in seven. I'm going to say the Jazz find it uh, tomorrow night, and then I think the Clippers go home. They're going to defend their home court, and then we're going to get a good game seven, but I just feel like that home court for the uh, for the Jazz. And those roles of guys, they really show up in that arena. That's, a, that's one of the toughest arenas to go and steal a win. So I'm going to go Jazz, but I'm going to go them in seven. I don't think they go on the road to L.A. and uh, close out Kawhi. But then, I mean, this is another team. If they lose, if the if the Clippers lose, can they afford? I mean, this is a failed plan, right? This is year you'd be going into year three of Kawhi and uh, PG and Kawhi. He obviously can enter free agency. It I mean, I would assume he stays. But does PG come back? Can they afford to bring back Paul George with him? I don't know where they go. I mean, let's let's assume they lose here. I don't know where they go. Like. I mean, I don't think they want to rebuild considering they traded so much for Paul George. They got rid of their young talent and shot Gilgis Alexander, who's been great and he's up and coming. They don't have him anymore. So it's like they don't have all those draft picks either. I don't know how they even rebuild. I feel like if they choose to rebuild, that's going to be a really long process. And the Clippers are sick of being the Clippers. You know, they really they're getting their own stadium. They really want to become like a championship franchise and yeah, they have a great chance now, but if they do lose, uh, I don't know what you do. I think you got to run it back, honestly, because they're in such like, you don't have draft picks. You're in your tight cap wise. Like I don't think they have a choice, but to run it back and make, you know, some slight roster tweaks. Run it back. That's interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head is Steve Ballmer. He, I believe that's his name, Steve Ballmer, the owner. He didn't, yeah. buy, he didn't buy the team to have them buy the team, get the arena deal sealed and then rebuild. So, and he didn't uh, let Jerry West mortgage all the picks, Shai Gilgis Alexander to go get PG to bring with Kawhi. But I would say, I mean, if I was the GM, I would be, I, I don't know if, Paul George can come back. I don't know even what type of relationship him and Kawhi even have if they see eye to eye. I mean, coming off a second straight, this would be two straight second round losses for a team that was arguably dubbed as, hey, this is going to be a Western Conference Finals team at least battling, if not a championship team every year. So, I mean, I think if you're if you're the Clippers and you're Jerry West, I would maybe call up uh, just up the West Coast, call up the uh, Portland Trailblazers, see if they want to end the run of rolling with the two-guard setup, maybe see if they'll bring uh, uh, send CJ to the Clippers 
and take on Paul George. Obviously, it'd be weird for Dame Lillard and Paul George to unite. That would be great for them to be teammates. <laughs> It'd be hilarious to watch. I mean, I've seen uh, a couple of buddies that I talked to. They've rumored that one as well. I feel like uh, both teams coming off exits, obviously the Clippers lose. I think it would make sense kind of for both sides. I don't know if either team succeeds because of it. I really don't think so. But I feel like it's kind of the new look that you can sell to the fan base instead of running it back. I mean, the, the Portland Trailblazers have been running with the same guys for years now. And then it's kind of the Clippers are on a uh, kind of a quick timeline. Kawhi's 29, but the body's beat up too. He's went through the leg injuries and he's kind of an older 29 years old. So they kind of got to force the issue, make some changes and really try to get that team to the finals. Uh, if it's not this year, next year or you start running into dicey territory. So I'm going to assume Kawhi stays. Like, I don't think Kawhi leaves. He wants to be in He LA. wants to be in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you could say some crazy idea, some hot take crazy idea. Can the Warriors do something to keep him in the state of California? I mean, he's only a little bit up in the Bay and do that. I don't think that's really realistic. It'd be crazy. It'd be wild. They'd to probably see. have to trade Clay Thompson at the very least and – yeah. I don't know. I just don't see how that would work. I think the Portland stuff is way more interesting, and that's what I was thinking. That's where I was going to go. You, One of those – got to break up that backcourt because it's just not working in Portland. So it's like that would be very interesting to see one of them going to be a clipper. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think that's – uh, yeah, that's good. I mean, I think the Clippers, yeah, they would have to change something up. And so you got Clippers in six – or not Clippers in six, sorry. You got Jazz in six. I got Jazz in seven. And, um, I mean, now we can just jump into, I guess, some quick NFL stuff. It's kind of off season, so we're kind of trying to keep the uh, NFL stuff as minimal because there's really not that much to, uh, to go over. But you got Jamal Adams holding out of a Seahawks minicamp. It's kind of weird since I think when he got traded there, he was like, I'm fine with playing under the uh, – I believe they tagged him or something like that. They tagged him, and he, he seemed like he was going to be fine, right? Change the scenery. He just wanted to be out of New York. He didn't want to deal with New York. He didn't want to deal – he didn't like Adam Gase. He just wanted to be gone from there. He gets his change of scenery, and now he's, uh, he's back doing the same old. He's holding out. I think they excused him, though, but I think that's just a cover-up, if I'm being honest. feels like a cover-up. But uh, what do you think on that, yeah, the Adam situation is interesting. It feels like a cover-up to me as well. But I, I don't think he's going to play one season in Seattle and then go somewhere else. What I do think might happen, which I was reading, because, you know, the Russell Wilson news came out in the offseason. He was saying apparently that he wanted to be traded. And then when they came back uh, for camp and stuff, but he said, I never wanted to be traded. I'm happy to be a Seahawk. You know, Russell, go Hawks, baby, right? So – there is rumors about maybe him playing out the season this year and then may, maybe the Seahawks breaking it up and get some trade. So if that – if the Seahawks season doesn't go well, I could see – first off, I think Adams is suiting up for Seattle this year. But if the season doesn't go well, I could see them getting rid of Adams, trading Wilson, maybe even Bobby Wagner and just going full rebuild mode. Especially in that uh, NFC West, that division is really tough with the Rams, Cardinals, and Niners. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely worrying because you go out there, it's kind of – you go out to Seattle, it's a more it's a more stable organization, right? Like, you got what you wanted. You wanted stability, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson. You wanted guys to be around that have a, a winning mentality, and then he's there doing the same thing. I agree with you. I mean, I think he suits up. I think it's just all nonsense. I personally, I don't know if I would pay him. I mean, he's kind of just a box safety of my guys. I don't know if he really does much. He's like a linebacker at times, honestly. That's what I'm saying. He's like a box guy. He's weird. It's like, I don't know. But he makes some interceptions, and he likes to brag about him. I've seen him brag about him on Twitter. Like, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a coverage guy. I'm a coverage guy. Stop calling me a box linebacker, uh, not a safety, all that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he suits up. And then, I mean, we jump into one more NFL topic. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, does he suit up for the Packers this year? Fired out, or I can fire out mine. I mean – I don't think he does personally. I think unless there's big changes made and Green Bay's front office seems kind of stuck in their ways. They've all, they're always, they don't, they don't do free agents much. They don't change much. They say we build through the draft, which means picking silly first round picks like Jordan Love, which was 
not the best decision when you have an MVP quarterback. But I don't think he does. Aaron Rodgers is an interesting guy. He's California cool, you know. He's from California. He's very comfortable with his life. He's got a Super Bowl win already. And, you know, he really enjoyed hosting Jeopardy. And, like, I truly believe that he's a guy that would be okay not suiting up, like sitting and missing football. I think he would be okay with that. Yeah, I mean, he does have the Jeopardy gig. Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always that on the table. And he could also go to more horse races. So, <laughs> You got that. I mean, I think they ultimately end the stalemate. It feels like it's just a game of chess. It feels like the second – he's just waiting. He's saying, Green Bay, uh, just offer the bag. Just do the extension. Uh, stop sending out all the stuff in the media. He did a press conference today for the golf match with uh, Bryson, Phil, and Tom Brady where he had a shirt that said, I'm offended. So it's like – it feels like we're seeing Aaron Rodgers, his personality kind of come out. He's always been like kind of that quiet guy, just play football. But now you see him in these later years, he's kind of showing more personality and showing more of, yeah, he's that weird California guy that you didn't really see through his, to the beginning of his career and up until these past couple of years. But I ultimately think that, that the stalemate gets done. The Green Bay will, uh, I feel like they'll eventually offer the bag just because it makes too much sense. And he doesn't want to go out and sit there and watch Tom Brady run the NFC again while he could be out there. And arguably, I mean, that team is, he should be able to get those guys back least in contention after a disappointing loss. I don't think he wants to sit there and watch Tom Brady go for a ring. What is it? Seven or eight? Eight? Eight, I think. Yeah, and the Tom Brady point's a good point because I think that really does factor in. Even with Russell Wilson, when he has, he's had to run for his life his whole career, he sees Tom Brady and, like, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are actually listening to him when it comes to, like, draft picks, players he wants, receivers to bring in. Like, I think they the other star quarterbacks see that and they're jealous. You know, and I would be too. Tom Brady's Tom Brady. Seven rings for a reason. And uh, if I'm Green Bay, I give Aaron Rodgers whatever he wants. He's still the MVP. Uh, Tom Brady's showing you can play well into your 40s. I mean, that might be an outlier, but Aaron Rodgers is also an outlier. So I would give Aaron Rodgers the bag as well. If I'm Green Bay, uh, Aaron, what do you want? We need you because if Aaron's not playing, they're not winning at all. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, he was pretty damn good last year, obviously. He won the MVP. They, they got to get it done or they're pretty much irrelevant. I don't care what they say about Jordan Love. Jordan Love, this, he's ready for week one. I'll be ready if Aaron Rodgers doesn't show up. Uh, you guys aren't going to be a good football team if Aaron Rodgers doesn't show up. And you can have fun sitting back and watching Tom Brady. That is an interesting point, though. You watch uh, all these other quarterbacks kind of watch Tom Brady get catered to. And especially, I mean, Bill Belichick didn't really do it, obviously, and that led to their breakup. They were successful even while he didn't do it. But when he went to Tampa, they kind of started bringing in Tom's guys and all this. And, I mean, the only other team in my eyes that I remember or that I know that's doing that is Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, right? He got beat up. He got smoked. The two Super Bowl teams. Yeah, he got beat up. The O-line was bad. And what do they do? They go out and, I don't know, they somehow created money. to They they turned the salary cap off and signed some more O-linemen, some crazy deals when you look at They it. did a pretty incredible job rebuilding that O-line so fast, like – Oh, it was, yeah, it was one hell of a job building that O-line back up. But, yeah, I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers is a little bit jealous that the Packers are leaving him in the dark. But I think they get stalemate done. And uh, just one more quarterback. I mean, another quarterback. Obviously, this guy has some other issues, some illegal issues. I don't even know if he'll play football this year. We got Deshaun Watson. Obviously, he requested out. He wanted out of Houston. And uh, does he get moved? Does anybody take a shot? A, even if it's – I mean, his value, what, it's – probably fairly lower than it would be if he suits up and plays football games. I mean, if you trade for Deshaun Watson going through legal issues and you're willing to say, hey, he'll miss a year, but we'll get him back next year, he's still young enough. He's still a guy that's going to be your franchise quarterback. So if you're a team like Denver who has that defense with Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, and those guys, and you got those young weapons, are you willing to kind of mortgage this? The QB class this year is not very good with uh, just Sam Howell leading the charge from uh, North Carolina. So it's not like there's that guy. There's not that Trevor Lawrence. There's not Justin Fields. There's not Trey Lance. But uh, does Deshaun Watson get sent anywhere? I think he eventually does. Um, Houston's front office is not good. I like if Houston – I do believe Houston's stubborn enough to just keep them and lose games. Like, I do think they're willing to do that. But he should be dealt, and Denver would be a great spot. And if I'm Denver, I'll give whatever you want for him, even if I lose a full year, because Denver is in a division with the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes is a young stud, and they have to play him for the, at least the next 10 years, probably. 
you know, barring injury and everything goes correctly, you need you need a stud quarterback to compete. And the, you know, Bradley Chubb, Von Miller, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, they have weapons and they have good enough defensive core. Like, if I'm Denver, I give whatever it takes. Or you know, maybe slide into Green Bay's front office. That, who knows? Maybe they can get a deal for Aaron Rodgers. I doubt it. But like, if I'm Denver, I you got to do something to get a star quarterback because the drafts aren't working and they have a really good roster outside of the quarterback position, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, if it's not Denver, would a team like the Raiders, like you look at Derek Carr, I mean, they're in a weird relationship where Derek Carr is like he's been there, but I don't feel – I feel like if John Gruden could get rid of him at any time and bring in somebody that's better or somebody that he actually likes more, he would do it in a heartbeat. I mean, they kind of brought in – who they have? Yeah, Mariota. He kind of looked better at some points. And then you also yeah, another weird one. that one game this year. Yeah, that one game. And then you look at the Dolphins, who it's always like a rocky relationship. I don't know. Tua got like one year of play behind no weapons. I mean, the guys got hurt every year. And then they're like, let's go get Deshaun Watson. Let's get rid of Tua. Let's jump ship. But, I mean, I don't think Brian Flores would do that. They've, really, they've been really smart since he arrived and managing their picks and managing who they sign. So I don't think so. I mean, I could see Vegas doing it more so, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you that I feel like the Texans are stupid enough where they would just sit on them and just say, yeah, we'll keep losing. Like, well, it doesn't matter to us because their owner's stubborn, as you said. I don't even know who their GM is because Bill O'Brien's out of there. But uh, their stubborn ownership, not a very good, not good ownership. I mean, the guys kind of said some suspect things in the past that are uh, not respectable. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, when you look at that, it's interesting. NFL, I mean, it's going to heat up. We got another month, uh, two months. We're in preseason, and I, I can't wait for NFL football. That's all I got to say. The Raiders thing is interesting, but, like, I don't think it solves any problems. Like, Deshaun Watson gives them, like, one to two more wins. Because the one thing, that, like, Derek Carr is not great, but he's good enough. The one thing they could do is, like, play offense well between Jacobs and Waller and uh, – there, I read a thing and a stat about the Raiders since John Gruden's been there. I believe it's three full seasons now since he was rehired. They're 32nd in, like, most of the defensive uh, statistical categories. The defensive unit has been atrocious. So, like, Deshaun Watson going there makes them a better team, no doubt about it. But it, I don't think it really solves any problems for the actual franchise. Yeah, 100%. I mean, when you look at, I think they had the fourth pick a couple of years ago and they picked Cleveland Farrell and it was like, I don't think he's panned out at all. I think Max Crosby has been decent on the uh, front. He's been better than the fourth overall pick. And then, I mean, they have good secondary players. I love Abrams, but he's kind of boneheaded. He costed him a game last year doing uh, just doing bonehead things. So yeah, I mean, they've, they're weird, but it's like you sign John Gruden to a $100 million contract, and it's like when you do that, when the coach gets a 10-year, $100 million contract, and you're kind of getting the year four of that, it's like you kind of got to do something. You got to at least find a way to make the playoffs. I don't know. Have they made the – they haven't made the playoffs in his tenure. They yeah. haven't even had a winning season. Yeah, that's so, what I'm like, saying. So it's like – I'd have a winning season this year, honestly, because year four coming going in as a head coach, like year four, I feel like that's make or break. They got to figure some things out defensively this year. Yeah, and I mean, you're not going to have – you're not going to be playing in an empty stadium anymore. So the fans are going to be – they're going to be raining down booze. I mean, I'm assuming fans out there in Vegas are dying to get to that get to that stadium. It looks like a great stadium. I saw a thing where they were turning the end zone into like a nightclub, and it's in Vegas. So not a nightclub, but a club with like a DJ and stuff. So like it's in Vegas. They'll be – the fans will be enjoying themselves. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Vegas, there's enough tourists as well. But, I mean, you expect spectacles in Vegas. Big fights happen in Vegas. The Vegas Golden Knights since they have arrived have been good. So it's time for the Vegas uh, – it's time for the Las Vegas Raiders. It sounds so weird to still say. The Las Vegas Raiders, it's time for them to do something. And the pressure is really on John Gruden in my eyes. doesn't feel like he'd get canned, but it feels like he could get canned. That owner, the, uh, the bowl cut owner, kind of a weird guy. And, I mean – he could pull the plug. I mean, John Gruden probably wouldn't care. He'll just go back to ESPN and collect his collect his change. But yeah, they've got they got an interesting road. I mean, we'll see what happens. We got for a couple sure. And they're another team that has to play the Chiefs twice a year, and then the Chargers went healthy, and Herbert looks like he's the real deal. So like, they're in a tough situation. Yeah, they're yeah they're in a weird spot. But uh, so now we'll get off of we'll get off the NFL stuff, and we'll get into arguably. I mean, this is one of my my favorite portions i love the nba stuff but i've also more and more been into uh the golf stuff we got the u.s open this week tory pines in uh 
San Diego. We got Bryson DeChambeau defending his uh, U.S. Open. He won at winged foot last year. And uh, I'm hyped for this, but I mean, I haven't really, I don't have the, the models to go super in-depth stat-wise, but I mean, guys that I like going into this event, I love John Rahm. He seems to always show up on tough courses with, uh, with difficult conditions. I mean, when you look at Torrey Pines, the last time, 2008, when Tiger had that miraculous U.S. Open victory in that playoff on one leg, he won it one under for the entire event. So it pretty much says Torrey Pines is going to be, it's going to be tough. And winged foot was tough. In the U.S. Open, generally, it's always a difficult setup. You got fast greens, thick rough. The course is usually long. I think Torrey Pines is like, can play up to 7,800 yards. So I'm interesting in John Rahm. I mean, the last time we saw him before he had to withdraw due to COVID, he was up six shots at the Memorial. and He was coasting to his one and a half million dollar uh, prize purse. And then the COVID thing happened, but he got out there earlier than expected. I think if he didn't pass two tests, two tests, he was going to show up uh, tomorrow morning. So he's going to show up Wednesday morning, but he passed the two tests, two negatives. So he's been on site, I think since Monday or Tuesday. So I like him a lot. I definitely like Brooks Kepka. I mean, Brooks, he always shows out for the majors. He seems like a, a guy that's always game when it comes to major championship golf. You saw him miss the cut last week. I mean, his putter has been troublesome. He kind of sucked with the putter at Kiowa in the uh, PGA when he was at Phil. Some brutal putting, but I mean, you're never, it's a major and it's Brooks Kepka. So, you know, he's always going to dial up something. Um, another hometown guy, Xander Schauffele. He's, I think, his worst finish. He's been in the U.S. Open, I think, six times. Worst finish is uh, a tied four-sixth. So it seems like Xander always finds a way at these, especially at the Masters. He does this at the Masters as well, where he just shows out. He finds a way to put himself at least in the top ten of the leaderboards and give himself a uh, – a shot on Sunday, whether he actually wins it or not, who knows? He finished second here in February at the, uh, I think it was the farmer's insurance open. Uh, probably a little different layout. I mean, I don't think the rough's going to be, it's not exactly the U S open layout for the course. There's obviously no spectators as well. So it's going to be different when the spectators are back in the, uh, on the course. Um, you gotta, you want to chime in? So I'm pretty new to golf. This is like my second year really following it. And I'm just kind of learning as I go with golf, Fast. but uh, I've really enjoyed the journey and I'm trying, I'm look, I'm looking forward to the U S open. Um, as far as guys, I would pick, I'm we're in a golf pool and it's elimination and I'm just kind of looking towards the big names, Morikawa, Shafle, And then I'm just looking for a, a good tournament. Um, I'm interested to see DeShambo. He's not in the featured group, which is which is funny to me. But I'm interested to see him defend, to see how well he can do. I think if uh, he really wants to show the PGA and be like, get his way, win it again, go back-to-back. Back. I think the last guy to go back-to-back back was Brooks, right, in 17 and 18? Yeah, Brooks did it Yeah, Brooks did it at, in 17 and 18. And I think before that, it was like 1988, 1989, Curtis Strange. So it's uh... – it's not it's a tall task, we should say. It's not something you just roll up and win US opens like they're well, you know uh, how much uh, DeShambo likes Brooks. I'm sure he would like to uh, be able to say he did it as well. <laughs> exactly. Um yeah, just continue and I got a couple more guys. I mean, I like Morikawa as well. He's another California guy. And he's probably, as everybody has seen, the best iron player on tour. I mean, his around the green stuff is always troubling. His putter is sometimes troubling but I mean if he can hit fairways and get it get himself in position to hit his irons he's easily the best irons guy coming off of he played the memorial as a second place finish in a playoff with uh Patrick Cantley so I mean Collins always game we saw with the TPC Harden Park his PGA championship so I definitely like him and then weirdly enough I mean he's not really getting talked about but he's expensive in DFS it's uh Jordan Spieth, he's like 10,900, which is like second highest. I think the highest is Rahm at 11-2, and Spieth is 10-9. And it's like one of these – nobody's really talking about Jordan Spieth because he kind of didn't show out at the uh, at the PGA. And then he had a top two at the uh, Charles Schwab, but it's like these weird ones where nobody talks about Spieth. He kind of performs well on these tougher layouts. 
he kind of he has to keep the driver straight. If he's in the rough, you're doomed. I mean, that's the big thing at Tory. If you're in the rough, you're probably done. Like you're you're gonna be you're gonna be writing squares on the card all day if you're in the rough. So if he can keep the driver in play and give himself a shot, he's another good irons guy and he's a streaky putter. So if he's hot, if the putter's hot, he's gonna roll in birdies and streaks. So I uh I like him. And then just going on guys that I don't like this week, I don't like Justin Thomas at all. Uh, it's weird. Justin Thomas feels like a guy that you should like, top player in the world, number two guy in the world. I just don't like where his game's at. I I don't like his driving ability. His second shot ability is ridiculous, but at a course like this in the U.S. Open, if you can't hit the fairways, your second shot's essentially useless. And uh, his putter's been worrisome. I mean, it's been the putter hasn't been there. So it's kind of – he's not in a spot. I actually don't like Bryson. I don't think he's going to come out and be able to just overpower and bomb all over Torrey Pines. I, I don't I don't like Bryson. I would be kind of pushing off on a course where you could argue hey, if you can hit the ball furthest down there. He should at winged foot. I mean, he could definitely say – he could definitely say screw you to me and a lot of other people that are counting him out because at winged foot when the rough was bad and everybody said don't land in the rough there, he was hacking it out and finding ways to score and just grind the course out. But, I mean, as of recent, I'm not on the Brooks train. And then I don't like Rory either. Rory's up there. Uh, let me go grab his total odds. But I think he's like oh, – he fell back quite a bit. Dude. He was like – I think he was 15 to 1. He was pretty high. He fell back to uh, plus 2,100 to win it all. But I'm not on the Rory train. He got one lucky, uh, one lucky W at the uh, Wells Fargo. Or it might have been the Valspar, but uh, I'm not on the Rory train this week. I just don't think his game is trustworthy enough. People really got on him at the uh, at the PGA because he was the guy that last won at Kiowa, and we saw kind of where that turned out. I just I don't think Rory can really put it together. And then just a couple sneaky guys, uh, Tyrell Hatton. He showed this week top two at uh, Congaree. He he snuck around. He didn't really hit great shots, but he found ways. I think at one point he had like two eagles on his car. Two eagle. He he finished around where he had no birdies. I think he was in the 60s with no birdies, where he had multiple eagles, and it was just it was ridiculous. So he found a way to kind of work his way around the golf course, and he kind of thrives in these tougher setups as well. And he seems to be finding his game. Patrick Cantley as well just won at the Memorial. So if he can continue that success, he's another California guy returning. Uh, to his home state, I think he was also – and that was at Pebble, so that doesn't count. But he seems like a guy – these California guys, they seem to have the edge. When you look at uh, the genesis of Max Home earlier in the year, they find a way to get it done. And then just one last guy, it's not really uh, – he's not really sneaky, but Dustin Johnson, he kind of found his driver and found his uh, game a little bit uh, over the past weekend. He fell apart with a three-putt. That was bad. But uh, I think he'll always – he's going to be there. I mean, he's kind of found his game a little bit. And I feel like Dustin Johnson can definitely win a U.S. Open. But um, that's all for the uh, for the real golf portion. I mean, I'm excited for the tournament. It's definitely going to be it's going to be a great one. I think it's going to be a lower scoring tournament. You're not going to see one of those crazy high scoring events where uh, guys really really light up the scoreboard. But it's going to be more of that grinding style of golf that really puts the uh, pressure on the players. And now um, to jump into just a final segment that we're kind of going to kind of make part of our thing here, our, uh, our show here, we're going to do at the end, either at the end or the beginning, at least at one point in each episode, we're going to do three bold takes for the, uh, for the week. So since I just talked my head off about the golf, I'll, uh, I'll let you jump in and fire out your three bold takes for this week in sports. All right, and uh, I got one more comment for the golf thing, just for the DFS players. If you're playing DraftKings, he made a good point about Jordan Spieth kind of not being talked about, and he's expensive. That If you're trying to win a GPP or, like, a tournament like that, which is a guaranteed prize pool, you need to differentiate yourself and get lower-owned stars. So Jordan Spieth is a guy I would love to play because he's not being talked about. He's overpriced, so he's expensive, which probably means the ownership's lower. So I'm just – just a little nugget there for the DFS guys. If you a little DFS strategy, you want to get the lower owned guy. And if, you know, speed gets hot, then you're going to jump most of the field. For but now, for, for sure. I'm not a DFS wizard at all when it comes to golf. But, I mean, my only theory with that when I did one of my lines was if I'm going to – if you're going to spend in that range, why not spend the 200, 300 more for the overall better golfer in John Rahm? 
But that's all I got on that. I mean, I'm no DFS wizard when it comes to Which I think is the smarter strategy. So if you're playing and you just want to cash, spend the extra for ROM. But if you're going for the big win, most people are going to spend the extra for ROM so you can really differentiate yourself by taking speed. Exactly. But for the three bold takes, um, I'm just going to go out on a limb for all three to stick with the golf. I'm going to say why not and say that DeShambo repeats and gets it done. It's a long shot for sure, but they're bold takes for a reason. So my first one is DeShambo gets it done. And then my other two is something I alluded to earlier. I think not only two, the Jazz make the finals, but three, that the Clippers don't win another basketball game. There we go. He says it. He says Jazz make the finals. Clippers don't win another. He continues on. So that I like that. That's bold. I mean, mine is also – it's funny that you said the Bryson thing because one of mine is I don't think Bryson contends. I don't think he's in contention at all at this U.S. Open. It's hilarious that you wrote that he's going to repeat. <laughs> and then I write maybe two hours ago when I was kind of going through and saying, yeah, how bold can I get here? And I went, yeah, Bryson DeChambeau does not contend this week at the U.S. Open. And then it's funny you said the jazz thing as well, because my other one is that Chris Paul takes the Suns to the finals, regardless of who they play in the Western Conference finals. I like CP3. He's only getting healthier. It's weird. The shoulder was bad and that he looked about toast in the Lakers series. And now the shoulder looks good. I mean, the guy scored 37 in the closeout game. He seems like I just like that unit. I like that group. I like CP3 leading that group of Booker, leading Aiton. I love Bridges, Cameron Payne off the bench, Cam Johnson. Uh, Sarich kind of worries me. Their backup big, obviously, is kind of concerning. But, yeah, I'm going to go with CP3. He gets to the finals. Hopefully the body holds up, as we've seen in the past, that uh, even not the shoulder but the hamstrings and stuff. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say CP3 takes this, gets the Suns to the finals. And then my other one, it's kind of super bold, and it's kind of outside of uh, – it's kind of – it's – yeah – the Nets big three does not win a ring together as, as I just don't know about them guys. I mean, you have two of them, right? You have Kevin Durant's obviously showing out. He's older Kyrie, but they both had major knee injuries or no Achilles. They both had major injuries. My bad. So those guys are coming off of injuries. And as you see, again, Kyrie's hurt in this run, a freaky injury. And then James Harden's kind of banged up and they're kind of their big man situation isn't ideal. So I'm going to go that's super bold because obviously those guys, I mean, if they're scoring in all cylinders, they can go off. But can I trust all those guys to be there when it, uh, when it counts and when we get down to the nitty gritty? So that's my bold one. I don't think the Nets, with this big three, this group of guys, I don't think they get it done together. I like that Nets one. That's bold. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm rooting for that to be true, but, like, they're just so talented. And That's, then for the Chris Paul one, the Suns, like I, I like I said, I'm all jazz, but the Suns scare me. They're resting on a sweep. It'll be yeah, fun. Yeah. Uh, the Nets, yeah. The Nets one is yeah, – that's hilarious. That's one where, like, in three weeks from now or a month from now, somebody can be calling me a moron. This guy said these dudes aren't going to win together. And CP and not CP3 and Kyrie comes back and averages 30 a night in the finals off the uh, off the ankle. Though I don't know what type of ankle they said it is. Is if it's a high ankle sprain, I mean you're looking at we saw how long it took LeBron with his high ankle sprain. So I like to go bold. That's that's kind of the uh, I like it. I like it. It's kind of the way I roll around here. I kind of like to uh, fire out something something a little on edge. But uh, any other closing thoughts? I mean, we got big games coming up the next couple of days. It's going to be an exciting time for the NBA and obviously the golf stuff. And then, I mean, at any moment, the NFL can break the airwaves too. They seem to, uh, even though the NBA is rolling, if something crazy in the NFL happens, it kind of it kind of can dominate the airwaves. Oh, yeah, NFL is king. No, I don't think so. I'm just uh, – I'm very excited for these upcoming basketball games, excited to watch the U.S. Open. It's going to be a good week of sports. For sure. Well, I mean, that'll wrap up. This is obviously the first one. We're going to try to pump these out at least one time a week. We haven't really set something, but we're going to work for one a week at this point, maybe jump to two times a week, see how it's working. Um, it's going to be fun. I, I enjoy talking sports. I mean, as we said, they're open this thing. We sit at work and we talk about this stuff all day long. And why not? Why not have fun with it? Why not do a show? Why not create 
our own thing and put our own twist on it and put it out there for people to listen to. There's a lot of, there's a lot of podcasts, but you know, let's try to uh, jump in there and show the people something different. So, I mean, it's been a, uh, been a good first episode. Looking forward, um, drop some comments, any feedback. I love feedback, anything that we can do differently. Definitely. Um, yeah. Comment below any new topics, any stuff that you want added to the show to make this thing smoother. Uh, let us know. And we're open to doing anything, but, uh, for take three, uh, y'all have a good one.